Hey world, we are Citywide Church, creating the largest soul-saving effort ever seen right here in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We want to thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast. We would love to know how our ministry has touched your life. So if you have a couple of minutes, please send us an email at amen at citywidechurch.us. Also, if you would like more information about us or about how to support this ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.citywidechurch.us. Thank you again for listening, and as always, be encouraged and stay blessed. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to worship you for the sacrifice you made. We honor you, we praise you. We lift up our voices to you, declaring your goodness and your greatness. Desiring for all the world to know how good you are. You're the God who forgives, the God who gives us love. Come on, the God who picks us up from the dirt, from the miry clay, the God who restores, the God who redeems. We thank you today. Come on, in Jesus' name, when the church says, Come on, before you take your seat, high five two people you don't know. Tell them God is doing it in my life. Come on, find somebody you don't know. Tell them, I don't know you, but give me five. In Jesus' name. Joyful. I'm joyful. I am joyful to be in the house of God. For it's in the house of God that we find peace. It's in the house of God that we find joy. Are you with me today, church? I want to thank all you Puerto Ricans for coming today. We know you had options, but you chose us. I want to thank the rest of you honorary Puerto Ricans. All you white folks or our other friends who use us on, we love you too. That makes you Puerto Rican. Or adobo, one of the two. If you ask for sofrito on Facebook, you are Puerto Rican. And God loves you. God loves everybody. I'm just kidding. I want to say two things before I move forward. I'm not one to be political from the pulpit but in light of recent events in our country need I remind the church it's your job to stay prayerful and not judgmental it's your job as the church to empathize with those who are hurting both black and blue for we have both among us police officers and people who are also victims of racism systematic racism in our country And we need not turn the blind eye. This is not the time to turn the blind eye, but the time to stand with somebody and support somebody. And if you can't do that, you have to question your Christianity. I read a lot of distasteful things this week on Facebook from people who call themselves believers and from people who don't know Christ. And the fact that I couldn't tell the difference between the two was very painful. It's a time where if you've got nothing good to say, maybe you shouldn't say anything at all. And I say that with all the love in my heart, 
And anybody who knows me, I don't talk about political or presidential or anything else stuff from this pulpit. But this is a time where we need to support both. Because there's good people and there's bad people. But our job is to love the two. We need to pray lest we be a part of the cause while our nation dives deeper into moral decay. We should be the light, not the darkness. And I want to just pray that every single one of you be empathetic towards the situations out there. Remember when I was young, my first time being arrested, I don't say that like I'm some thug, but the first time I found myself in contact with the police, I ended up walking away with a bruise from here to here. I know just a little bit about racism, not the way some of you face it, and I I empathize with you. We love you. We care about you. We're standing with you. To all of our police officers who watch online, who listen online, and who work here today, and and you work in, in, in different police departments, and you're part of our church, we love you too, and we stand with you. To all of our African-American brothers and sisters in the house, we stand with you. We love you. Amen. And although the world divides, the church won't divide. There's no division in the kingdom of God. And we stand with every single one of you. Amen. I had to get that off my chest. I had to pop some people. Amen. I'm believing God for some great things, and I, I, this is last week has been supernatural for me. If you miss prayer, you missed everything this week. If you miss prayer, you miss so much. This week, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, do not forget, we have worship and prayer, and God was moving this Wednesday, and some strongholds were broken. Some serious things were going down, and, and, and people, we had a lot of praise reports, and God was just moving, Amen. And I'm believing God for more and more as, as I believe what's happening in our country is the birthing pains of something greater. And I believe that God will bring something good from this in a great, great way. Also, don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, we are joining together with Black Rock Church. I know many of you are planning to come. If you're not, you should still come. Praise God. We're going to have a great time. And uh, you might be thinking, well, it's Sunday. I got things to do. Sunday is a day of the Lord, not just the two hours of the Lord. Praise God. But that's not, you know, I don't want to be religious or anything. Praise God. Uh, but if you want to come and you want to join with us tonight, we're going to have a great time. I have no idea what I'm preaching yet. I was, I was up late trying to figure it out and up late because my daughter was sick, but I was trying to figure it out. Praise God. I've been praying all week long, and I'm just believing that God's really going to speak tonight and going to encourage some people. Amen. A couple of months ago, uh, their pastor came here, and uh, he, and then I went to his service that same evening, and, and it was just two different cultures, and we talked about it the next day, and he was just like, are you going to bring some of that stuff over there, over here? I was like, yeah, we're Puerto Rican, and, and, and we're all multi, we're all mixed up. We're going to bring a lot of stuff over there, and uh, I met with him again this past Thursday, and he was just talking about, make sure you bring some of that stuff, and I'm like, you mean that loudness? He was like, yeah. Bring some of that worship. And uh, he's just excited to host us tonight. And if you've never been there, just come on out, support us as we go forward. Amen. I'm really, I'm really feel like God is, I'm feeling like God is, is going to speak to some people today because he's given me a scripture that is profitable to the heart of the believer if we would put it into practice. Amen. And we've been talking about last week, we talked about building an altar of fellowship and 
And we're talking about this series of altars and the place where God encounters us, the place where God has paid the price for us in Jesus Christ, him being our ultimate altar. And this week I want to talk to you about something a little different. And we're, we're looking at the story of a man whose name is Jacob. And in the story that we're about to read, we come in contact with this man and Jacob is an interesting character. He's the grandson of Abraham, and he's the chosen of two twin brothers that God has chosen to bring forth the promise in which he gave to Abraham in the previous chapters we read last week where God made some big promises to Abraham, like, I'll make your descendants as, as numerous as the dust or as the sand in, in, this, in the sandy, uh, in the beaches and as a star in the skies. He gives them these big, big, bold promises, and God also tells them, I'll give you this land called Canaan. And Jacob is at this place where Jacob is a, is a funny character because Jacob is proof positive that God doesn't want perfect people. Because Jacob was a, a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was what we call a supplanter. Jacob was a trickster. And Jacob was really just not always a good guy. And Jacob did not have the same revelation of God that his grandfather Abram had. But little by little, God was introducing himself to Jacob. And Jacob found himself in a place in his life where he had to run for his life because he stole the birthright of his brother Esau. The birthright back in those days was everything. It was when the father passed down everything via a blessing to the oldest son. And Jacob pretended to be his brother Esau in front of his blind father. And he stole the blessing. And Esau was so angry, he wanted to kill Jacob. But he ran for his life. And was gone for many years and, and then he came back and he found restoration there with his brother and God was doing a work. But now in this scripture we're about to read, Jacob is about to enter into the, somebody say, fullness of God's promise for him. But God is going to require some things of Jacob before he brings him to this new season in his life. And we're reading from Genesis 35, verse 1. And the scripture declares, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were fleeing, who were with him, excuse me, get rid of your foreign gods that you have with you. And purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress. Who has been with me wherever I have gone. And so they gave Jacob all their foreign gods. And they had the rings in their, in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Verse 6. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Would you bow your heads right now to Heavenly Father? Only you can sow this word into the hearts of man. Only you can pierce through the hardness. Only you can open our eyes. Only your spirit can reveal yourself to us. So today, Father, we ask you, open our ears and our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, so Jacob is about to step into the fullness of what God has for him. And Jacob finds himself 
approaching this place where God met him previously. When Jacob was on the run from his brother Esau many, many years ago, he came to this place, Bethel, where he laid down, fell asleep, and had a vision. And this vision was from God. And Jacob met God at Bethel. And now God is instructing Jacob to go back to the place where he first met him. He says, Jacob, I want to use you. I have things for you. Will you go back to the place where I first met you? You see, so far in Jacob's life, he's been known by the things he has done, not the things God called him to do. But Jacob is at a place where God is calling him to do something greater. And he's about to walk into a new season and a new era in his life. And this new season and this new era calls for a new standard in his life. And it will never cease to amaze me the amount of Christians who want a new season but not a new standard. It'll never cease to amaze me the amount of believers who want God to do new things but want to stay in old things. It'll never cease to amaze me how you want the glory but stay in the filth. And God says to Jacob, I'm calling you out already. He's already wrestled with God. He's already been through numerous encounters with God. And now Jacob is at this place where God's like, I need something greater and something more from you. And in order to get greater and more from you, I need you to do some new things for me. Tell your neighbors, time to raise your standard. <clears throat> he wanted to change how he walked with God. In this new season, in this new life, it's amazing to me that the place where God tells Jacob this is once again, as we said last week, where Abraham made his tough decisions, is the place called Shechem. The place where all throughout scripture, humongous decisions are made at Shechem. It's where, it's where Joshua said, you know, gave his last address to the people of God. I told you, it's where the kingdom of David was split into two, into the northern part and the, and the southern part. And, and this is a big place in scripture. And now we find Jacob here at this place of decision. And with all of my heart, I believe that God is asking people in this room to make some big decisions, but not for self, but for the glory of God, for the goodness of God. And God is about to challenge Jacob right where he is. He was calling Jacob into fellowship with himself. And in order for this to be, Jacob and those who are with him must abandon and relinquish their false gods and their idols that they've been carrying with him. Because the God, our God, as the book of Exodus calls him, he is a jealous God. God's serious about us having no other gods before him. He was so serious about it that the first two commandments he gave to his people Israel were about not having other gods before him. And God says to Jacob some heavy things. And God knew that Jacob could not enter into the promised land lest he abandon the other gods in his life because it was not uncommon in those days to worship 10, 20, 30, 40 gods. But God understood. Our God, the Lord, strong and mighty, he understood that if he allowed someone to enter into the promise that he had for them while they were compromised, they would stay compromised after the promise was fulfilled. And many of you, God's saying to you, you have a level of compromise in your life and you want all these things and you want all these fullness of God's promises and God's presence and God's power in your life. But because of the compromise, 
You see, here's the first point today. God is giving us an invitation to consecration. You see, consecration by definition means that we set ourselves apart for God. It means that we do the will of God. It means that we remain holy before God, that we live in such a way that pleases God and honors God. And as John said in Matthew 3, we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And God is saying to us, he's saying to us, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to need you to consecrate yourself and to remove the things in your life that don't please me. We're called to be the, to be the hands and the feet of the Lord God Almighty. We're called to be the vessels available for his use. And in order to be those things, in order to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God, we have to rid ourselves of the things in us that separate us from God that keep us from worshiping him the way we should, that keep us from honoring him the way we should. And God is saying to this generation right now in our time, he is saying to us, and I hear this all across the country, it's time for consecration. It's time to set ourselves aside from the world. It's time to say, no, I'm choosing God, and I will make a stand right here no matter what it costs me. I'm choosing consecration because God has given me this invitation for a reason. It's time the church stood up in great power and authority, and we consecrated before the Lord. It means to live right before this holy God, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, not to stay struggling and, and, and living in sin, but to say, God, I know you're calling me into deeper waters. If you find that God never used you, it wasn't because he was willing. It's because he was not willing to go into a compromised vessel. Because God's willing to use anybody who is surrendered to his will. Open your heart to him. If you want to be used by God, you have to open your life Unto him, are you available for God to use you? The scripture is full of men and women of God who compromised everything on behalf of the cross. Abandoned everything for the sake of their God. And we won't abandon the smallest of things. Moses left everything he knew to go back into Egypt to rid a nation of slavery. Gideon went to the middle of a battlefield to find the call of God for his life. Samson stood blinded, but yet still willing to do God's will in the midst of enemies. We see the disciples, Peter, James, and John, leaving their small businesses and going into the ministry and saying, God, whatever you have for me to do, I will do it. I will consecrate. I will trust you. But for us, it's hard to even consecrate a couple hours in a Sunday morning. My God, we say to ourselves, why isn't God moving the way he used to? I'll tell you, because there's not people available the way there used to be. There's no shortage of God's power, no lack of his desire. You see, but the way God set things up, the hierarchy on the earth, in Genesis he said, let us make man in our image. And then he says that God gave man dominion over the earth. You have to understand this, that, that in, in, in context of the way the earth is set up, that, that there has to be a man because men have dominion over the earth. So God has to flow and work through men. So is why Jesus had to occupy a human body in order to have the power and dominion he had. But there's a shortage of people who truly want God's will. We want God's blessing. We want God's comfort. 
but we don't want God's will for our lives. And God was calling Jacob to a new place. And he says, Jacob, I want you to build a new altar. I want you to build a new work for me. Jacob, I want you to do something supernatural for me. But in order for you to do it, you, you've got to separate yourself from these false gods you have and purify yourselves. Jacob understood that he couldn't take these false gods into the promised land where the true God was calling him. It would be an insult to him. God desires consecration from us. And I know exactly what many people are thinking. You kind of like just, thank God I don't have any idols. Because when we hear something like this, we automatically want to discount ourselves. You see, we, we like to attach ourselves to the good characteristics of Bible characters, but we detach ourselves from the ones that really do apply to us. You see, idol in truth, by definition, is anything that takes precedence over God. It's not just a graven image. It's not just a false god. You see, back in those days, they would worship idols that were false gods. But many of you have built altars to false gods all across your life. We have altars all across our lives that don't please the Lord. Here's point number two. If you're going to build an altar for God, you might have to break an altar for God. If you're going to build something for God, you might have some things you've got to tear down first before God ever allows you to build that new altar. God wants you to take down some things in your life. If you look across the book of Judges, it was every time that the people fell away from God, he would have a new leader rise up. And what would they do? They would go across the nation of Israel and they would tear down the altars of the false gods. From Gideon to Samson to Deborah, they would tear down the altars. And God is saying to Jacob, I've got some things for you, but I need you to let go of some other stuff. And we are at a place, church, I'm telling you, we are at a place in our walk, in our life, in our history of humanity that God needs men and women of God to rise up more than ever. If you would tear down the altars in your lives. For many of us, your job and your career have become your altar. There's nothing wrong with a great job and a great career. But when it takes precedence over God, when you wear it like a badge of honor that you work 60, 70 hours a week, but yet you have no time for the Lord, you built an altar called your career and your job. Does God desire hard work? Yes, he does. The first thing he gave to Adam was a job. But God doesn't want the job to become you. He wants you still apart from your work. He has a purpose for you. And many times it draws us away from God. It causes us to sacrifice, as we say, on behalf of ourselves. But we fall away from God on account of our pursuit of greater things for self. And God says, you don't trust me to provide for you? You have to keep switching and jumping and finding this new thing. You got to do everything like a slave for the boss man because you know that you need X, Y, Z. And God says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? 
God is trying to call you, but you're at the altar of work, too busy for the Lord. Everything has become about your job, your career, what people look at you as. You see, when you were a kid, when you were a kid, they asked you, what did you want to be? But when we're adults, we, men ask each other, what do you do? Because we find identity in what we do. And too many of us have found all of our identity in what we do. And not in the Lord God Almighty. Many of us worship at the altar of materialism. Oh, but not me, Pastor. Not, but you got 40 pairs of shoes for two feet. Oh, not me, Pastor. But everything you got is the newest of the new in your life. The more we seek it, we're neck deep in materialism. And all we ever do is want more stuff. Websites just for new things that you should want. And you have these big Pinterest boards of all the things you want. And you have all these wish lists on all these different websites of what you want to buy. And you want the newest cars and you want the best this and the newest phones and the newest shoes. And you want everything new. And then you work overtime to pay for the things you don't have. And by the time you do have it, you can't enjoy it because you're in debt. A spirit of materialism has gripped the church that makes you want more and more and more. And you have to buy a bigger house with more storage to get the more stuff you have and to stuff it into different parts of your house and never look at it again. Neck deep in credit card debt. But we worship at this altar of materialism. And when you lose the stuff, you fall into depression. Shame on the church for falling into materialism and not falling into the arms of the Lord, our provider. Oh, well, pastor, are you saying it's wrong to have good stuff? No, but does the good stuff have you? Stop worshiping at this altar of materialism, telling yourself, I deserve this. Well, I'm going to work all this extra time because I want to give my kids everything I didn't have. God will give it to them. Trust the Lord. We worship at the altar of materialism, never thinking once what we can afford. What can you afford for the Lord? If you took an account for all the money we spend on stuff, how blind can we be that we don't realize we've fallen into the trap of covetedness. And although we don't live by the law, there's a commandment that talks about thou shalt not covet because God was concerned about materialism. He was concerned about the church and how we would always want and want and want and want and never, ever have time for God because the things we've wanted for so long, once we have it, we forget about the Lord. I wish I had an honest church today. Some of you would bankrupt yourself on your addiction to materialism. But you don't realize that you are putting more value in what you have instead of who has you. Jesus wasn't concerned about materialism. And I don't believe Jesus was broke either. Don't believe it at all. 
But I believe that Jesus had balance in his life. Something many of you lack. And your altar has become materialism. Collecting things, buying things. Never once realizing that you have fallen into this trap of coveting what other people have. And then you see someone else have, well, I deserve it too. Church, we have to wake up. For many of us are at the altar of money. Our idol is money. We put more faith in our money than we do in the Lord God, our, our provider, our savior, our redeemer. We'll do anything for it. You will never share it. You will hoard it. You will do anything for money because it solves all your problems except your joy and your happiness and your salvation. We do whatever we have to in order to make more, to collect more, to get more. And before you know it, money often becomes our God. And if we don't have any, we're depressed because our joy is found in what you have. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there also your heart is. And if your treasure is Jesus, your heart is with him. And because he never fails, you'll never be sad, down, depressed. For many of you, you worship at the altar of sexual sin. For as long as you've been with God, you've had sexual sin too. You've never been able to let go of the sexual sins in your life. There hasn't been a time in your life where you're fully consecrated away from sexual sin. You are worshiping at the altar of sexual immorality. You've exchanged your faith for filth. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. I have this thing in me and I just live in this capacity. I live in this way. God calls those things sin. He calls sexual immorality sins. And I just don't understand how moments of sexual pleasure in your mind replace the the true pleasure of eternity with God. And we worship at these things. and, And like Jacob, God is calling us away from them. Some of us love sexual contact more than we love God. And we live in such ways that are lewd and disgusting. You can't walk away from your ungodly life because it means more to you than God and you don't understand the concept of submission. We say he is our Lord, but we don't follow any of his decisions for our lives. We say he's our master, but we don't follow his instruction book for our lives. It's so quiet in here. I love it. Praise God. Many of us worship at the altar of pleasure. Paul said in the end times, men will become lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. It's the reason why a locker room on a Wednesday night is full but an empty prayer night. Men love pleasure more than God. It's the reason why I can call you on a Friday night and give you two options, movies or church, and you'll choose movies. Because we worship at the altar of pleasure. Social media, we just, I'm so bored, somebody pick me up, hit my cell, this and this and that. Would you, would you go pray and find a friend? <laughs> Worshiping at the altar of pleasure. We'd rather be entertained all day than fellowship with God. We'll make time for going out, but not for prayer. We'll make time for entertainment, but not studying the word of God. We'll make time to glue ourselves to television and social media for hours, but never ever crack open a Bible. 
a Bible where people are dying across the world just to hold it. But here in America, we're entertained and we want pleasure. Please me. Oh, I don't like this, friend. They don't have any fun. You don't do anything. Well, what am I supposed to do? Just stay home? Yeah, stay home. Go figure. You don't have to be out every other night. Christianity is not boring. It's our standards are wrong. We want a worldly standard in a godly place. Put down the altar of pleasure and pick up the altar of passion for the Lord. Passion for a God who is passionate about you. Part of being a true follower of Jesus is to go into unpleasurable places. But because you love pleasure so much, you won't go where God's called you. Church, it's time for you to cast down your idols. Cast down the things that have separated you from God. And don't fall into the trap because entertainment is a replacement for intimacy with God. Enjoy the Lord. If the church would just awaken itself and tear down your idols. Many a Christian might get in trouble here you worship at the altar of being offended and you've elevated your offenses more than your heart with God and you've elevated your you want to be offended so you won't do anything more for God because somebody has hurt your feelings you see the Bible says in Proverbs 18 19 a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. In other words, it's easier to siege a city and take over a walled city like Jericho than to win over a brother or a sister who's been offended. We cannot elevate our feelings above God. We can't say, I will no longer do because I am hurt. But we must do what Matthew says to find reconciliation. To find peace, to find healing and restoration. You see, offended people are unforgiving and ungodly and they will blame everyone else for their condition, never realizing they are poisoning self. They'll begin to put God second because their feelings towards others take first place. Even though God says, bear with one another, we don't want to do that. Even though God says, be kind, we don't want to do that. Even though God says be loving, we don't want to do that. My God, how we have laid ourselves down at the altar of being offended where you can't forgive a brother or a sister and you can't love them the way God's called you to love them because in the back of your mind is this spirit of offendedness. My God, we want the glory We don't want the hard work to get there. We don't want to tear down the altars. We'll do anything else except do what God tells us to do. We don't let go of our offenses. We see everyone through a filter of our offenses. And we predict that everyone's going to hurt us because I've been offended before. Church, cast down the idol of your offensiveness. You see, at the root of it all is self. 
At the root of it all, we've truly come down to worship this altar of self where we want everything. We live in sexual sin because it pleases self. We hold the banner of offendedness because it protects self. We love materialism because it, it gratifies all of self's desires and its insatiable lust for more. We serve self because we deserve everything we got. We work so hard in our careers to make self feel good. To worship and glorify self. For self is at the root of our desires. And many people say, well, you can't love people right until you love self. But some people need to stop loving yourself so much. For self is the reason Satan fell. For he said, I, I should be sitting on the throne. And I, self, at the root of all sin is selfishness. It's the reason we don't have time for God because we're doing too, too much stuff for self. Church, I wish you would be honest today because there are lives and souls and great moves of God that are in the balance if people would just lay down the banner of self. We'll do anything to please self, to make self more comfortable, to make our life more good for self. But what has God called me to do? God has called me to a life of pain. God has called me to a life of sacrifice. Lay down these altars, church. Lay them down. For God, your God, desires something new with you. For self is the reason we'll stay in relationships that we know don't please God because it pleases self. And self is more pleasurable than God sometimes. And so we say stuff like, well... God understands. We stay in situations that are reeking of sinfulness. But they please self. Church, we've got to pull down these false senses of security that we've built up. Realizing that God is calling us to a new place for even Paul said this. He said this in Acts chapter 17, 23, as he was talking to the people in Athens. He says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. And he goes on to give them a gospel message. And he was saying to them, I walked around your city and there was altars built up to things. And you were building altars to gods you didn't even know who they were. Do you know who you've been building for, church? Has it been the Lord? Have you been building for God? The cornerstone of every idolatrous altar is self. At the heart of it all, it's self. Exodus 34, 13, Moses speaking to the children of God in the desert. He says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. It's a pole of worship for another false god. And it says, for you shall worship no other god for the Lord your God whose name is Jealous. He is a jealous God. And not jealous in a way that is, is sinful, but jealous in a way that I will have no other gods before me. For I am preeminent above the world and above the universe. And I shall still be preeminent in your heart and in your lives. 
You see, God's concerned with the church living right before him. He's concerned about consecration. He's concerned about a lot of things. And maybe I didn't put my finger on your pet sins that you built the altars to. Maybe you're looking around and saying, well, I know he was, I know somebody who fits that. Think about yourself. What altars have you built up that don't please the Lord your God? Verse 4, so Jacob, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Before someone thinks that having earrings is wrong, it's not. In those days, their earrings were, were uh, little idols before the lords that they were worshiping and the gods they were worshiping. I don't need no legalism in the church, amen. They set out. And a terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Because when you consecrate with God, no enemy can pursue you. When you say, God, I'm with you, regardless of whatever happens, I'm with you. God covers you and God protects you. God keeps you and God holds you. And the God, your God, he sustains you. And Jacob and all the people with him came to lose that is Bethel in the land of Canaan. And there... He built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. You see, Jacob Jacob made a life-altering decision. Jacob made this decision that he says, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna follow God. And they took and they took all the idols they had. got them all together, all of his family, all of his servants. They got all the idols together and they gave them to Jacob and they buried them. They buried the idols because they understood that God was calling them into consecration. God was calling them into the place where he wanted fellowship with them at a new level. And a lot of people aren't willing to pay that price for fellowship with God. And God calls Jacob to go to the place where he had first met him. And that's the place that they call Bethel. And Bethel is the place where Jacob had the dream while he was running from Esau. And now God is calling Jacob back to the place where he first, hear me church, encountered him. At this place, God would confirm his call on Jacob's life. At this place, he would make Jacob more promises. Did did you see it? Did you see it, what he said in the verse? Did you see it, that he's calling him back to the place of his first love? It's at the place of his first encounter, his first love of God. You see, he said to his people, I will go back to the place where I met him, where the God who was always with me and the God who was with me all along, I'll go back to that place and I will build an altar to that God. That God being Yahweh, Jehovah. And maybe you still don't understand it yet. You see, in the book of Revelations, Jesus writes these seven letters to seven churches. It's kind of like these seven letters to seven end time churches. I can go really deep into the different parts of it and what it means. And, but there's one church where he says this to the church. And 
in this, I felt the Holy Spirit decreeing over the church of Jesus Christ across America today. He says, but this I hold against you. This I hold against you. You see, first he gave them an accolade. He gave them a, something he was proud of. And then he goes into the, what he really wants to write to them about. He says, this, this I hold against you. You have abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love. Here's point number three. I give my all at the altar. See, Jacob had a moment of reflection and he says, man, God has always been with me. God has always provided for me. God has always protected me. God is always taking care of me. I don't have to go anywhere else to search for this provision of God. I don't got to do anything else. I'm going to worship him right where I met him. And I feel like in my heart, God is calling people. And he's saying, come back to the place you first met me at. Come back to that first passion. Tear down the altars you've built, you've built up. Tear down the altars of complacency, the altars of sinfulness, the altars that divide your heart. You've pursued the things of the world for too long while still being in my house. And he's saying, I need you to pursue me. For you are like a man who walks into a house of another man and enjoys the festivities of his house but never pursues him. To say, hey, I'm here. I enjoyed your party. He says to us today, come back to me with all of your heart. this altar that he built wasn't it wasn't like the altar Abraham built. You see Abraham he built an altar where he cried out to God. Jacob built an altar where he remembered God. You see you say pastor what's the difference? Here's the difference. Abraham called out to encounter God again. Jacob built the altar and the place to remember forever the encounter he had with God. Pastor, what are you saying? That today the altar we need to build is the altar of remembrance. That you mentally build this altar and you say, where was I when I first came to him? What condition was my heart in? How much has he done for me that I've forgotten about him now? And I'm willing to abandon the things that I have laid out before my God. I'm brought to tears because my heart is so broken over the condition of the church in our country. My heart is so broken that I can preach year after year and people still be so divided in their hearts before a living God. We would choose all these other things before God, but I give my all at my altar. Because I say, God, I remember when you first redeemed me. I remember when I first said I'll serve you forever. I remember that, Lord. Where were you when God first called you? For Jacob, it was Bethel. 
For you, it might have been neck deep in sin where he rescued you and pulled you out. It might have been at the brink of depression where he rescued you. It might have been an addiction where he broke it. It might have been a broken family where he restored you. It might have been in the midst of divorce, but he healed you. Whatever it might have been, he pulled you out and we've forgotten about it. And we said the Lord has worked in me before, but the same God who did it then, he's the God who can do it now. If you would just remember and come back to your first love. If you would say, my God, I was broken before you. I was lost without you. I was hurting. I was in pain. And just because now you put me back together doesn't mean I can forget the master's hands. My God, how have we let the altars in our lives take precedence over God? How we've let our stuff become more important than our God. Pastor, you sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry at all. I'm hurting for the church. Because I know the things that God has for you. I know the things that God has for your lives. But we've gone too long to these other altars. And Jacob went to Bethel and Jacob built this altar and he reflected and he said, I remember when I was running from my brother Esau. God met me right here and the God who met me here is the promise God gave him I will be with you Jacob wherever you go and some of us have taken for granted the promise of God that he'll be with us wherever we go and we've took him to all types of places that God wouldn't desire to be and we've built these altars altars of sin immorality Altars of idol worship where God is third, fourth, fifth on your list because everything else is more important. Pastor, I don't know how to receive this message. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. It's not what I want you to do. It's what God's calling you to do. Well, how do I receive it with an open heart? And a truthful spirit that says it resonates. And the reason why I don't want to hear it half the time is because it's so true. That I've abandoned my creator for created things. I've desired faith, but I've chosen filth. I wanted to see miracles, but I chose moments of pleasure instead. I wanted to see God move, but I couldn't honor my leaders. Couldn't even honor my husband. You couldn't even respect your wives. Put these altars of brokenness all across your life when you worship that church the altars of pride where self is so strong in you God is calling you to deeper waters God is calling us from the complacency God's calling us into separation with him and he called for Jacob to remove everything from his life before he built this altar. And in my heart of hearts, I feel the Spirit of God today declaring to many of us, before you try and build an altar of remembrance to come back to your first love, stop and 
Tear down the things that you've glorified in your life. Tear down the things that you've honored more than God. Release the things that have kept you from doing the will of God. Kept you from finding the places God has for you. For now is the time we need to come to God with our whole hearts, church. And we have another altar we can go to. I was talking about it earlier. His name is Jesus. You see, maybe before today, you were blinded to the fact that you've built so much to be in front of God. Maybe you were blinded by the fact that your job and your career, your materialism, your love of self, your sexual immorality, your choice to continuously remain offended in your life. Maybe it's blinded you so much that you didn't realize it, but today God shines a light on you when he says to you today, choose. Choose like Jacob at Shechem. Choose like Abram at Shechem. Choose like the people of Israel. God says, choose me and come back to your first love. That's the message to the Holy Spirit, to the body of Christ today. Come back to your first love. Come back to the first love. For every other God will do nothing for you. Only Jesus. Come on, would you stand with me this early afternoon? I ask the prayer team to position yourself. Church, there's some altars we got to tear down in our lives. There's some things we have to remove from our lives. The Lord your God is calling you into a deeper waters with him. If there be one thing in your life that doesn't please the Lord, If there be one thing in you that is not of him, that you would call it out today. You would come to him with your whole heart and say, my God, my God, I want to come back to my first love. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of you, there's this thing burning in your heart right now. This thing, those butterflies in your stomach, that's the work of the Lord challenging you right now. Saying to you today that you should find healing in him forgiveness in him and here's what we want to do today we want to simply touch and simply agree with you today we want to touch and agree and here's what I want you to do as you come to the front because I want to ask you if, if God's dealing with you if God's talking to you if you've abandoned your first love that you would simply Say to that person who's praying for you, whatever you think that altar you built is, maybe it's your career, maybe it's materialism, whatever it may be, that we can come in agreement that God break it and that we find peace in Him. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed, dear Heavenly Father. See your people touch our hearts. We know you're here today. Lord, we could have chosen some nice, friendly message today, but Lord, I chose your spirit instead. 
you would speak truth over us. That your word would be like fire in our bones. That your spirit would fall on behalf of your people, Father. Open our hearts today. And Lord, if you're speaking to us, that we would be honest with you, obeying the work of the Holy Spirit. And that when you say, come, we should come. My God, bring us back to our first love today, Jesus. As adults, as couples, as married families, God, bring us to your first love again, God. If you believe the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart in any capacity today, come on, now is the time for you to say, God, I know you're dealing with me. I know you're working in me. Come on, if that's you, just come on down. Make your way right to this front and say, God, I know it, I know it, I know it, and I will boldly, I will boldly come. I will boldly come to tear down these altars that have replaced you for too long, my God. Father, you see them, you know them. Awaken us tonight, Father. Awaken us. We would know you more today. Come on, that's right. Just come, just come, just come. Don't wait for nobody else. Just come, just come. Just come. It's not a time to lie to yourself no more. It's a time to be honest with the Holy Spirit of God. Just come. He already knows. He already knows. Just come. Father, we believe you. We're trusting. We're receiving you. We're receiving you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, as the worship team's about to sing right now, I'm challenging you. Challenge. Just come, just come. Just come, he's here now. Restoration, healing. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father.